Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Karen Steginja. I'm a volunteer with Oakwood Creative Care, and I've been a Dementia Friends champion for a few years. So I've done a, a, just a handful of the Dementia Friends sessions, which is what we're going to do today. Uh, I am a volunteer, so I completed a training, as I said, to be a champion. I'm not an expert in dementia. Uh, so if you have questions, I can't give advice, but I can give you some resources as to where you might be able to find that information. Um, I don't know how I was going to open up the chat room for you to put comments or questions, but I can't seem to figure out how to share my screen and see the chat room at the same time. So we can, if you want to put something in the chat room, somebody's going to have to let me know that it's in there. I got you, Karen. I'll take care of it. I, I consider it a success that I'm even on the, the line. <laughs> I'll pass along any comments from the chat room for you. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So we're going to start with this. And I am also part of the Mesa Chamber of Commerce Aging and Healthcare Committee, which is uh, the folks that have launched uh, the dementia-friendly movement in Mesa. We were recently designated as a dementia-friendly city. Uh, there is a proclamation that the mayor has put together and um, has announced that uh, at the council meeting. Um, so we are a dementia-friendly city, and this is a portion of what we're going to do for the community and businesses and so forth, as well as we'll have the city uh, hopefully um, do take care of some issues as well, transportation and, and those kinds of things that go along with the dementia friendly city. So this is, these are the numbers. This is why we need to um, talk about dementia and, and get people involved in understanding it and kind of, uh, you know, trying to eliminate the stigma that's associated with it. So you can see almost 6 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease. Uh, the number used to be, you know, one every so many seconds was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The numbers are just staggering when you talk about, you can see the increase almost 43% by 2025. We happen to be in the fastest growing state for Alzheimer's. We've got about 140,000 Arizonans. And those are the ones that have been diagnosed. There may be many more out in the community that have just not have had that diagnosis yet. So uh, according to the Alzheimer's Association, about 10% of persons over the age of 60 have dementia, and about half of those 85 and older have dementia. And I, I was asked one time, why, it, why does dementia, why does it seem to be growing so much? And, and actually the answer is people are living longer. And so as the percentages increase, we have more folks that have been diagnosed simply because people are living to be 90 and 100 and so forth. So the cases are going to, to increase. And if anybody has questions along the way, you can please interrupt, raise your hand. I can see only a couple of you. So somebody, I'll have Bob monitor that as well. So when you think about dementia, what is one word that comes to mind when you hear the word dementia. You can either verbalize or put it in the chat room, but what do you think about when you hear that? Disoriented. Disoriented, okay. Confusion. Confusion. Forgetful. Forgetful. 
We got a comment of loss of self in the chat room. Loss of self. Ah, that's a nice way to put that. Yes. And it, when you, you know, the confusion, loss of self, memory, disoriented, none of those are positive. <laughs> so obviously we see it as something that is negative that happens to somebody, um, which is, it is. It, it's, uh, it does take the self away. The, the caregivers have to adjust to living with a new person and the person with dementia may become a different person as well. So it does make changes in the dynamics um, of the person's life as well as their relationships. So backing up just a second, what is Dementia Friends? It was developed in the United Kingdom, which, uh, you know, I used to do work on elder abuse for the uh, Mesa Police Department when I worked for them. And, and a lot of the elder programs seem to come out of the United Kingdom first, and then they make their way across the pond, as they say. So it's in the United States. Uh, it started in the Midwest, and as, the, as it has progressed, we have many states now that are involved, many cities and communities that have become dementia-friendly, as Mesa has. Uh, Tempe was the first in Arizona in 2016 to become a dementia-friendly city. Uh, Mayor Mitchell was very much involved in that. Um, his mother suffered from dementia, uh, so he and his dad, Harry Mitchell, were very much involved in that movement, as was Banner. So Banner and the city of Tempe have done an excellent job of bringing dementia friends to Arizona. Since Tempe has been designated, we also have Surprise was designated earlier this year, Scottsdale, Phoenix, and now Mesa. And there are other communities that are working on it. And the dementia friends... USA is the one that sends out the criteria and what needs to be done. So we've met all that criteria. So we're trying to help the community understand what dementia is, how it affects people, and how can we, as the city of Mesa, you know, whether it's businesses or residents, how can we make a difference in the lives of people with dementia? Because that's really, we have to be, this is all about supporting, understanding and supporting them. So types of dementia, it's, dementia is not a specific disease. It's an overall term that describes a wide range of symptoms, some of which you've mentioned, decline in memory or other thinking skills, severe enough to reduce a person's ability to perform everyday activities. So that's what we look at. It, Alzheimer's disease, as you can see, is the most common type. It accounts for 60 to 80% of cases and then you have less common uh, Lewy body, which is the second most prevalent. Uh, that goes along with the Parkinson's dementia as well, frontal temporal and vascular dementia. So there are some other types of dementia, but we don't usually ask that. Usually when someone says they have dementia, we assume it's Alzheimer's. Um, contrary to when someone says they have cancer, oftentimes we ask what type of cancer because we, you know, a different understanding. And with dementia and Alzheimer's and Lewy body, they all, pre they present differently. Um, unfortunately, a friend of mine has been diagnosed with the frontal temporal. And with that type of dementia, they kind of lose their social filter. And so these are the folks that may say things that are inappropriate 
uh, have conversation, you know, just come out with something that there's no filter to say, oh, that's not appropriate in this situation. Uh, as with law enforcement, they might see people shoplifting, they might see someone exposing themselves because they've lost that ability to understand. Louis body is, uh, you might remember Robin Williams, the comedian, that's the type of dementia that he was diagnosed with. Um, goes along with the Parkinson's. So you have sometimes they have hallucinations or sleep disorders or mood changes. So we have to be aware that just because someone says they have dementia, we might be looking at different behaviors for different people. Um, so what our goal is with Dementia Friends is to kind of understand dementia and reduce the stigma that goes, goes along with the diagnosis. So most people know that they experience physical changes as they age. Um, and as I read this, I'm just thinking that my picture must be in the definition here. They may now wear glasses, have graying hair and feel stiff when they get up in the morning. So my picture is right there next to that. Um, we also experience cognitive or thinking changes as we age, may not remember names as easily as we used to, or have more trouble concentrating in busy settings. So we're going to talk about what is normal versus what may be an early sign of dementia. So the first one you can see there, sometimes forgetting names or appointments, but, and the key here is remembering them later. And that's what the difference is between the, the normal for the most part and the signs and symptoms is they can't remember it later. If you've, um, you know, who was that actress or that actor in that movie, or I have an appointment like we were talking about today, thank goodness for reminders, but you do remember it later. Whereas people that have a dementia may not remember uh, one of the most common signs, as we've talked about, is memory loss, especially forgetting recently learned information. As uh, Jan Doherty with Banner says, they've, lose, they've lost their save button on their computer, which means that anything comes in, that comes in today is not going to be remembered. That's why you often hear stories that they remember the past, but they can't remember that they had lunch five minutes ago or that they met you 10 minutes ago. So that's what the difference is. Um, they ask for the same information over and over again. They might rely on memory aids. Uh, we, you know, I've, we have found that some of them are very savvy at having a calendar posted so they remember what day it is and um, just something to help them along so that, uh, first of all, so other people may not know that they have the dementia, but also to help them through the day. So that's the difference there. Second sign is challenges in planning or solving problems. Um, some people may experience changes in their ability to develop and follow a plan or work with numbers, such as balancing a checkbook. Following a recipe, a recipe that they've been making for years and now they can't follow that recipe or keeping track of monthly bills. Um, I had read that financial challenges or challenges in financial planning and checkbook and numbers is one of the early signs of dementias when they start having problems with that. Um, they may have difficulty concentrating and take longer to do things than they did before. If you occasionally make an error, balancing a checkbook, if anybody does that anymore, 
Um, again, that's normal aging that we talk about. The third one is difficulty completing familiar tasks at home, at work, or at leisure. Sometimes people have trouble driving to a familiar location, managing a budget, or remembering the rules of a favorite game. So again, it, it goes back to something that they've done for years, and now they're having trouble recalling those tasks and those steps in the plan. And I think this might have been written when people were still trying to set the timer on the VCR, uh, some talk about recording a TV show or use the settings on a microwave. Uh, that might be just someone that's not familiar with technology that just needs some assistance. But if they've been doing tasks for all their, their life and now they're having trouble, that's an early sign. Um, confused about the day, the week, or time and place. They can lose track of dates, although with COVID, I'm finding I do that as well. Um, seasons and the passage of time. So they may not understand if you say, I'll be back in an hour, or what time was my doctor's appointment? It's not till 2.30 or it's not for two hours. They can't make that connection between what is two hours. Um, and so they may ask you again right afterwards. So they, there's a confusion with the time and the passage of time. If it's not happening immediately, they may have trouble understanding something in the future. Or they may forget where they are or forget how they got there. And that's what we, we run into, maybe the person that has wandered away from home and, and it becomes a, a situation that has to be addressed immediately because they, they don't remember where they are, where they've been, where they've driven to. Um, and again, normal aging, we'll, we're able to recall that later on. So um, again, that's, that's the difference between the two. Some of this seems a little uh, repetitive, but I'm going with the script here. So um, the fifth sign is understanding visual images and spatial relations. And this also comes into play with driving because they don't have depth perception or they can't judge distance or you know, the left turn is somebody coming too fast and they make the left turn anyway. So driving becomes a real, a real issue or even color or contrast, reading, um, you know, all of that, not only driving, but also reading the newspaper, reading a book. They're going to have trouble now doing something that they've done for years. Uh, we all have vision changes, uh, maybe cataracts or, you know, got the glasses on. I didn't have to wear those 10 years ago. So we all go through that and that's normal. But they're going to have problems actually with images and spatial relations, not quite understanding. Um, the friend of mine that I mentioned that has frontal temporal, she doesn't recognize people that she's worked with for years and years and years. She can't make the connection between the, their face, their image, and somebody that she's known for 20 or 30 years that she's worked with. So does anybody have any questions up to this point? We're going to, I think I mentioned, this is going to be about an hour, so I just want to make sure we, we get through all of this. Uh, next slide. Okay. The sixth sign is new problems with words in speaking or writing. And I've dealt with a, a dear gentleman that was in one of my support groups. He has since passed away. He was 
he always wanted to, you know, we'd ask questions, we'd talk about their, their past, where they were from and so forth. And I knew he wanted to have that conversation and he wanted to add to the conversation with the group. But when he started having problem finding his words and putting together a sentence, it led to him shutting down because he got so frustrated trying to have conversation. And of course that leads to isolation and, and some issues and so forth. So they have trouble following or joining a conversation. Uh, they may stop in the middle of the conversation and have no idea how to continue what they were saying, or they might repeat themselves frequently, which is what you'll hear from care partners quite a bit is they just keep asking me the same thing over and over again, or he just keeps saying the same thing over and over. They may struggle with vocabulary, have problems finding the right word, or call things by the right name, wrong name, excuse me, uh, like calling a watch a hand clock, or saying it's red when it's white, or saying that's a book when it's a radio. They, they can't make that connection any longer. Um, with normal aging, it, you know, sometimes we have trouble finding the right word, but we, again, it, it does come to us. So it, it's much more, um, it, I guess, exaggerated with somebody that has uh, some form of dementia. Misplacing things and losing the ability to retrace their steps. Again, we, we go back to that, you lose something, but you can find it. Just like we, I know I've done that. It's like, where did I put that? And then, okay, I was here, there, and I can kind of retrace where I've been. They cannot do that. Uh, when I was with the um, police department and I was in crime prevention, so my specialty that I took on was the senior population. And we had some, some older adults that would make theft reports. My purse has been stolen. Um, my niece stole my frozen peas out of my freezer. And so the officer would go there and they would find the purse in the dishwasher, or they would find that, you know, the peas that were somewhere else in the house. So what they've done is they don't remember where they've put these items or they've put them in a totally inappropriate place unless the dishwasher is appropriate. Maybe I'm not judging, but to me, it wouldn't be. Um, so we would get theft reports because they would misplace things and they would accuse others of theft and so forth. So it, it does get, um, uh, you know, you're kind of trying to be careful not to insult them and at the same time try to help them find their item. They can't go over the steps again. Um, and this occurs more frequently. You'll get people that will do that over and over again. Hey, Karen, uh, we do have a question that just popped in, so I thought I'd okay. throw it out there. It may not be quite the time for it, but I'll throw it out there and let you deal with it. Um, do you know anyone who has tried nutritional changes uh, for therapy? I do not. Yeah, that is, uh, it, well, I will say what I know, um, which is limited, and you can, uh, you know, look up, maybe get with Banner and so forth, but there are some studies that show, of course, a healthy diet, uh, more fat in the diet, you know, um, just any, as far as prevention, where somebody is eating more of the, you know, the fruits and vegetables and all the kind of the, the typical healthy diet does help with um, preventing Alzheimer's as much as it can. There is nothing out there that's going to cure Alzheimer's or dementia or entirely prevent it. So there is no magic 
uh, diet. There is no magic pill out there. And if you do hear things like that, um, take them with a grain of salt, I guess. But uh, we do things as far as nutrition. Um, at Oakwood, I know when they serve them lunch, they try to give them healthy foods because there is, you need, you need to feed their brain to try to keep their, their brain firing like it should. So um, giving them, you know, there's all sorts of theories about using, you know, high fat butters and so forth to help with the brain. And then, you know, the, uh, I will say there's all sorts of theories out there. I have not read anything that is definitive that this is actually going to help, but always eating a healthy diet would be recommended. So I apologize for that, not knowing the exact answer to that, but, um, I would go to Banner and see if they're doing any kind of studies on nutritional um, because there are some, there are a lot of theories out there about it. I hope that answered the question. If not, they can put, no, that was terrible in the chat and we'll go from there. So um, again, I'm not a, a medical expert, so that's kind of out of my, uh, out of my realm. Uh, let's see, we talked about misplacing things, uh, decreased or poor judgment. People with Alzheimer's experience changes in judgment or decision-making when dealing with money. This lends itself to fraud and telemarketers as well because they do get preyed on for the fraud schemes. I just heard this morning there's a, a fraud going around about contract tra contact tracing. People are getting calls and then trying to get people's social security numbers and things like that. And somebody, somebody without Alzheimer's may fall for that, as they say, or somebody with Alzheimer's that can't tell the difference between right and wrong um, may also become victim. And, and it does happen. It also happens with elder abuse and exploitation. Uh, they, they believe, whether it's family or an outside force, um, they are taken advantage of because of their their Alzheimer's. We, uh, there was a story once about a gentleman in a music store that sold a woman with Alzheimer's 10 pianos in a year because she did not remember that she had bought one and he would just, he, he did actually get prosecuted for that. So, uh, which was a good thing because a lot of times it goes by the wayside. We've seen car dealers that have sold cars to people with dementia that don't even have a valid license. So you have to be very careful because people do take advantage. Um, so I've seen enough of that. Uh, so we all make a bad decision, but most this is, we're talking about judgment. Withdrawal from work or social activities, that goes back to what I was talking about with Larry, who was the gentleman I was talking about that having the uh, inability to carry on a conversation and get frustrated with his thoughts and words. And, and those that are diagnosed, I don't know how many of you know somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia or suspect, um, but they, they do withdraw because they're very, they know that they have the disease in the early stages of diagnosis. And so they do what they can to either hide it or, you know, uh, 
minimize how many people outside their social network know about it. But as it becomes more obvious where they can't carry on a conversation or they don't remember people, people's names or faces, they start to withdraw. And isolation, and even during this COVID, it's been, it has had an effect on even the members at Oakwood that don't have the social interaction anymore. You know, people aren't out with other people to do artwork or to sit and socialize and have lunch. And so it does, it, it really um, worsen, excuse me, worsens the effect of the dementia when they don't have that. But a lot of them will withdraw simply because of a lot of the things we've talked about, the conversation and so forth, or they can't keep up a hobby or they, they don't recognize their favorite sports team. And so they just um, fall out of any activities. Uh, and lastly, changes in mood and personality. And this may differ with what type of dementia you've been diagnosed with. I mentioned Lewy body takes on some, some different behavioral changes as does frontal temporal dementia. I've had caregivers tell me, you know, my husband never said a swear word until now. And now he's, you know, Kind of spouting them out daily and or or the husband has become more aggressive and it's then the wife it happens too i i know we've been to uh getting back to the law enforcement he'd keep bringing that up it wasn't an officer i was a civilian but uh domestic violence calls um with you know whether it's the wife accusing the husband of having an affair because their personality has changed or the husband's more aggressive or you know things they're more anxious, more fearful, more depressed. Things, things do change as the dementia progresses. And so uh, they're just, they're easily upset. And if they're out of their comfort zone, uh, it becomes an issue. So any questions? Anything in there? Okay. I did, uh, I did have one question come up for you. Um, a little bit about uh, learning new languages or playing board, brain games, if those activities are effective prevention. You know, um, there are, I, I've read articles to that effect, whether it's um, crossword puzzles or brain games that they have. I think AARP even has some on their website or banner. Uh, I know that engaging them in meaningful activities, artwork, music, you know, anything to kind of keep the brain firing would be a good, and, and I've also read, you know, I do crossword puzzles, but they also say you have to mix it up and use different parts of your brain, not just crossword puzzles, but do these kind of puzzles as well to kind of keep your brain active. So I think what I've read is that that does have an effect. Now, prevention's a strong word. I would say it helps keep your brain um, healthier. And as we'll see, you know, the, the toll that um, dementia takes. But I, I think being active, uh, diet, back to the diet and and yeah, I, I think that I, I believe, and from what the articles that I've read, there is a movement towards that where we, we all need to stay and keep our brains active and stay involved um, in those kinds of activities. So, so these are the five key messages that we are to get out of today's uh, dementia is not a normal part of aging. You are not all guaranteed to get it. Um, dementia is caused by a disease of the brain. And this is something that goes back to the stigma because if it's a disease, 
there shouldn't be anything to be ashamed of. If you have cancer, we don't, we don't look differently at somebody that has cancer or my dad had ALS or, you know, but when we see somebody with dementia, somehow we, and this happens with social settings with people that have been diagnosed, their friends pull away, their family might pull away because conversations become difficult, the memory. And so we do see a different reaction sometimes, but it is a disease and that's what we have to keep in mind. It's certainly no fault of the person that has the dementia. They can't control what is happening to them. It's not just about memory problems as, we, as we've just discussed. And it is possible to have a good quality of life with dementia. Um, and there's more to the person than the dementia. That's what we have to, sometimes people get labeled as a patient or you know, an Alzheimer's uh, sufferer, but there's so much more to that person. That person may have had 60 or 70, 80 years of life, of hobbies, of likes and dislikes and so forth. And now with the dementia, we forget. Um, that they were once like us, I guess, at some time and young and, and had a life that we need to, uh, to respect. So those are the key messages from the Dementia Friends movement. So as we get into, this is the brain, advanced Alzheimer's. As you can see, it um, versus the healthy brain, it's the disease that damages the brain cells. And this damage interferes with how the brain cells communicate. That's why I say about keeping the, the neurons firing, whatever the word is, I'm not a medical doctor, I don't play one on TV. So um, when brain cells can't communicate, your thinking, your behavior, your feelings, everything is affected. So it, it may affect different parts of the brain as far as what type of dementia you have, but um, they're all, responsible for different functions. So whether it's memory, judgment, or movement, and when they're damaged, obviously the brain can't function efficiently. Um, so this bookcase story that we're going to talk about is kind of a visual um, visualization of how Alzheimer's can affect the brain and, and what we have to keep in mind. So, but everybody's brain is affected differently. So we, I, you know, if you've met one person with Alzheimer's, you've met one person with Alzheimer's, not everybody is going to behave the same. So you, you kind of take them as they are just as you would um, any other individual. So we can imagine that a 70 year old woman who has dementia and there's a full bookcase beside her. Each book represents one of her skills or memories. So on the top shelf are her memories of facts and her skills for thinking in complex or complicated ways. For people with dementia, the top shelves or outer part of the brain is damaged first. So when the top or the outer part is damaged, skills like math, language, and keeping one's behavior in check are in that part of the brain. So in the bookcase story, these skills are also books on the top shelf. So that's the part of the brain that's going to control that. When dementia rocks the woman's bookcase, the books on the top shelf begin to fall out. She may not remember what she ate for breakfast or that she has to pay for items at the drugstore or that someone came to visit. So the facts and the thinking are on the top shelf, the outer part of the brain, and that is what is going to fall off first. 
Emotions and feelings are lowered down within the bookcase, just like they are in the lower or inner part of the brain, the instinct area of the brain. Feelings like love, happiness, frustration, and sensing respect are in that part of the brain. So as dementia continues to rock her bookcase, the books on the lower shelves stay for a much longer period of time. So it helps to explain that your skills, thinking, memories, all on the top shelves are what's going to go first, but emotions and feelings remain longer because they are within the brain, not on the top or outer part that's damaged first. So when we talk about somebody with dementia, you know, her, the daughter may visit her, she can't remember her name, but she will remember feelings of love, comfort, and support that the daughter may give her during that visit. So she may not remember her daughter's name, she may not remember what they talked about, but she'll remember how the daughter made her feel during that visit. Um, so if they were to argue, she might not remember the details, but she'll remember that she was angry and hurt. So that's what happens kind of a, like I say, a visual effect. And that's something that we have to keep in mind because that is still a part of the brain that we can tap into and that we can comfort that person with. Okay. This is usually done in person, but we'll kind of go through this. We're, um, when you're trying to explain you know, we talked about planning as a skill that they lose first. And so what, we're, what we do with this is if you were to write out a step-by-step -step instruction list, it's telling somebody how to brush their teeth. And when I did this, I had over 20 different steps. So we can all kind of contribute to this because it's a little hard to do with, I think there's 18 or 19 of us on the call. So if you just, you know, what, what steps, if somebody has dementia and you're trying to, to instruct them how to brush their teeth, what are some of the steps that would be involved in that? And anybody can kind of chime in as to what they would, what would you do first? What would be the first step? Grab your toothbrush. Okay. Get it wet. Okay. <laughs> toothpaste on it. <laughs> now you're assuming that they know what a toothbrush is. Oh. Wow. Um, they know which tube is toothpaste. Uh, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just kind of illustrating just how specific um, you have to be with somebody. So Anybody else before we kind of go through? Because I don't have a list. I mean, there is no right answer. And you're all going through your head, okay, what do I do? So I mean, there's the suggestion in the chat that you have to think of how you inst instruct a two-year-old. Okay. So how do you do that? I've never had a two-year-old, so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> well, you'd get the toothbrush for them. Okay, there's a start. <laughs> You'd get it ready and you have your own next to yourself and you could like show them that. I don't know. That's very good. Yeah, that actually has not come up the last few times I've done this class, but that's a great to illustrate, to show them 
what has to be done. The problem is you'd probably have to show them every day, right? Yes, you would. And five minutes later after you've just completed. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's not something they're going to learn. Uh, it's something right. they have to do each time. So you have to, first of all, take them into the appropriate room. So you take them into the bathroom, I'm assuming. Um, and right, showing them the toothbrush. What is a toothbrush? Getting, making sure they, they have a toothbrush, manual or electric, and whatever you're using. Which tube is the toothpaste? How much toothpaste do they put on there without squeezing that tube and just having it all over the place like a two-year-old would probably do because it's so much fun. Um, and then do you wet it? And then what do you do with that toothbrush? What's Chew on it. <laughs> Just kidding. Plug it in, push the button and hold it there. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, and so how to move the toothbrush and you, and you're right. You have to stand there and go through every single task. And then what do you do with all that stuff in your mouth? Do you spit it out? Do you rinse? Do you, you know, all the, the tasks that we take for granted and I've done with, I've done this with making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as well. Someone says, well, you get the peanut butter out, you put it on the bread. It's like, okay. Uh, do they know where to get the peanut butter? Do they know what side of the bread it goes on? Does the peanut butter and jelly go on one piece of bread? Where's the knife? Are you going to let them use a knife? And so many different things that you have to think about when you're leaving somebody with dementia by themselves. You know, it's so much easier to just make the sandwich yourself and say, here's your sandwich. But if we're trying to instruct them, we have to think every little step and maybe what are we missing that we take for granted. We have to break it down into um, an easy task for us that seems very complex for them if you've got 20 different steps because they might get through the first couple of steps and then totally forget what they've just done and why they're even in the bathroom to brush their teeth. So um, that's kind of the support that's needed from our caregivers um, you know, just for a simple task. And this is only one thing that they have to do with them during the day. They make meals, uh, the remote for the TV, toileting, so many different things that somebody with dementia is not going to know. And, you, and you know, whoever said you have to show it to them again later, exactly. If you brush your teeth twice a day, you're going to be back in there again. Or Every day, it's going to be the same because they don't have that save button to remember what to do. Some of it might come back to them naturally because they have been doing it, but you still have to monitor and, uh, and make sure. And there's probably some medical uh, devices and different things. Uh, I know there are with shampoos and, you know, trying to get someone to, sometimes with, dementia people uh they don't shower anymore they don't either they don't think of it or they don't like it they don't like the water on their bodies anymore so um the uh the medical field has had to, had to come up with dry shampoos or ways to clean somebody without putting them in the shower you know those kinds of things so as as the as the disease progresses you you have to kind of make accommodations for things that they're struggling with so communicating with somebody with dementia 
becomes very important. And, and the, there's a couple of the big ones on here. First of all, treat the person with dignity and respect. I think the fact that you're all on this call is, is something that you, you respect these folks, you, whether you work with them or you have family members or friends, um, treating them because they have a disease. So you have to treat them with dignity and respect. Be aware of your feelings. Your feelings and your body language go a long way in comforting somebody with dementia. As I said with the bookcase, if they have an argument, that person remembers the anger and the hurt, even though they don't remember what they argued about. So if you're coming in and you're and you're grumpy, you're having a bad day, they're going to sense that. Whereas if you come in with a smile, whether you're faking it or not, they're gonna, they're going to be more uplifted. So be very aware of your feelings and your body language with folks with dementia. Be patient and supportive. And patience can be, uh, you ask a question, and you wait and you wait and there's a you know a 20 second pause we're not used to that we're used to conversation kind of flowing and and being you know you talk i talk you talk but you may ask them a question and it may take them 15 20 seconds to process and figure out what you want them to do so patience uh yeah it comes into play quite a bit Comfort, reassurance, we talked about the emotions being so important. Avoid criticizing or correcting and arguing. I will tell you right now, you can never win an argument with somebody with dementia because their world is their world. And that's the world that you have to go into. That's the world that you have to enter because they are not going to, you know, whether they're saying something, you know, well, I drove to the store yesterday, why can't I go today? You didn't go anywhere yesterday. You don't even, you know, that doesn't help because in their world, I drove to the store yesterday. What are you telling me? And so there's just no way around that. We, uh, I've been to some classes on improv for caretakers, care partners of people with dementia where you have to improvise well, I drove to the store yesterday. Well, yeah, you did, but today the car's in the shop, so we can't let you drive to the store. You just have to kind of be, you know, think on your feet and kind of come up with something because criticizing or that word in there, well, but, but that's, um, you know, kind of arguing. And so just go along with it and make up something. Uh, they call it therapeutic fibbing at Banner. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not quite lying, but it's, it's avoiding confrontation basically is what you're trying to do. Um, offer a word guess, you know, is, is this what you're trying to say when they're struggling to find that word or carry on that conversation? You can help them, whether it's uh, nonverbal where you're writing it down or, or like somebody said, you brush your teeth right next to them and show them how to do it so they can kind of mimic what you're doing. So nonverbal communication, you know, showing them pictures or writing things down or offering a word guess without um, totally, you know, getting in their face. Is this what you're trying to think of? You know, again, be aware of your feelings um, when you're communicating with them because they will take on those feelings themselves uh, if you're 
argumentative or they can, they can kind of read your mood. Um, when you're approaching them, always come from the front. You know, don't scare them. If sometimes when you come from the back, keep good eye contact, uh, get down to their level if they're in a wheelchair, which a lot of you probably do if you're dealing with any, you know, older adult with impairments. Um, down to their, call them by their preferred name. Uh, they may not, just as a, a side note, we, um, we always told the officers that make sure you know what name they go by because they may not go by Mrs. Steganja or Mrs. Harrison anymore because they don't remember they were married. So they may take on their maiden name and they may go by Smith now. And so you have to kind of know, again, entering their world, what world are they in? What era are they in? What age are they in? And um, communicate with them along those lines. Uh, it goes a long way to understand the person and exactly where they are in their disease and in their, in their mind to be able to communicate with them because you can't make assumptions that they're living in 2020 when they may very well be living in 1964 or 54 or, or whatever. Again, slowly and clearly um, taking the time and, and being aware that it may take them some time to, to answer your questions. And we're a little ahead, so that's a good thing. Again, the five key messages, uh, dementia is not a normal part of aging. It's caused by a disease. It's not just about memory. You know, people have asked the question as I did when I first came, you know, how do you die from dementia? Is it, is it, and it's because the brain changes so much that it starts to shut down uh, basic parts of your organs and things of that nature. So Alzheimer's has much more effect on the brain than just, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch. So it, it does, it, whether it's um, uh, mobility issues, mood, behavior, um, everything we've talked about, it's much more than memory. But it is possible to have a good quality of life with dementia. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of programs out there, whether they're online or in person, where whatever we can find to tap into for any particular individual, that is what we need to do, whether they enjoy doing artwork or music is huge. Um, for people with dementia, it has a profound effect. Uh, I, I've seen people that can't carry on a conversation, but when you start playing music, they know every single word in that song and it comes back from years ago and it just changes them. It's, it's, it's really, it, it's quite um, endearing actually. Um, so they can have a good quality of life. It's just going to be a different life than maybe um, what you would envision or they would envision or what you would like to have for them. But you just have to find what still moves them and what emotions they, they're still capable of. And there, again, just like that, there's more to the person than the dementia. Um, they're, they're, they're special people that are dealing with this disease and, and not only supporting the person with dementia, but supporting their care partner as well, because uh, you can imagine that's a 24 seven um, duty. I guess I hate to say that because a lot of them don't see it that way, but it's, it's a 24 uh, seven commitment, I would say. And, and there's, I don't know if you've heard the term ambiguous loss 
Um, but what that term basically means is these caregivers are going through ambiguous loss because they're losing their loved one, but they have not passed away. So they can't grieve the loss like we would when somebody in our family passes away, but every day, every month turns into more losses. You know, I went through that with my dad, just as a note, he had Lou Gehrig's disease. So every change in him and every loss of his ability became a loss, a grief, a kind of grief for me. So you have to understand that as we support the people with dementia, we also need to support their care partners. So there turning your understanding. Yeah. Sorry, there is a, there's just a quick question. If you would touch on the concept of sundowning. Oh, okay. Um, sundowning is, is what they term when somebody with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, towards the end of the day, their behavior becomes worse. They become more agitated, um, maybe more aggressive. And, and what they say, or what I've read, the experts, is because the, there's so much stimulus during the day that by the afternoon, they, it, it changes their behavior and their tone and their, uh, their anxiety level may be higher. So you may have caregivers say, well, he was fine in the morning, but by two or three or four o'clock, he's, you know, he's agitated, he's anxious, he's more depressed. And that's what's sundowning, sundown when the sun goes down later in the day, the behavior changes. And what I've read is they attribute that to is there's so much stimulus during the day that somebody with dementia just can't process all of that. And it just makes them anxious. And uh, so I hope I've answered that question. If anybody has anything they want to add to that, certainly put that in the chat and um, Bob will read that. So like I say, I'm not a, not a medical expert. Um, so what we would want from dementia friends is there's no homework, there's no mandatory, you have to go out and get 20 signatures or whatever. Um, get in touch and stay in touch with someone with dementia. Be patient, be more understanding. You've come to the session today, you're all gonna be dementia friends, you'll get your certificate and as soon as Sally gets that ready for us. And if there's another personal action, you know, I'll visit my mother with dementia more often or I'll, I'll be more understanding or I'll be more patient, whatever it is, just take what we've gone through today and, um, or become a, a dementia champion. And then you can do these quick one hour. And I will tell you all the script is right here. You don't have to, you don't have to memorize anything. It's all written out. Um, and so it's, 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 it's very easy to do. And that way we can kind of spread it into the community instead of just me, there, there's another, um, Shelly at one of the banks is also doing some of these presentations. There's probably over 4,000 or more dementia friends, people that have been trained in Arizona thus far. And that's just from the Tempe, um, started with just the Tempe movement. So as more cities get involved, more people will get involved as well. Resources, uh, Alzheimer's Association, of course. Um, Area Agency on Aging does have some assistance as far as programs and respite care for the caregivers. Um, and I can send you these slides if anybody wants them, just let Sally know and we can send that out if you don't know these, these resources. Um, 
Maricopa County is the area agency on aging, but every county has an area agency. So if you happen to be in another county, they also have uh, an area agency in those counties that have the same programs. The Alzheimer's Association, of course, that's nationwide. And then there's chapters uh, within Arizona as well. Banner Alzheimer's Institute, uh, they also have other classes if you want to learn more about behaviors and um, caregiving. They have a lot of classes lifted, listed on their website, banneralz.org. And then they do have Dementia Friends sessions if you want to go through that. Dementia Friends USA is the national organization um, that sends out and, and says what the criteria is to become a dementia-friendly community, dementia-friendly America as well. And if you want sessions, uh, you can contact either myself or Janice Greeno at Banner Health. She also does dementia friend sessions. You know, we can do sessions for five people, for 50 people. If you have a I've had some folks at some of the 55 plus parks or churches. We've done, hopefully get some training in some churches, uh, banks, you know, any, anybody that comes in contact with anybody really, because Circle K's, you know, they, people with dementia, uh, say they're everywhere, but they do frequent the mall. They frequent, and, and the more people that understand, um, you know, we, we've had incidents where people have become disoriented and gone into a Circle K asking for directions. And if they would recognize that, oh, maybe this person has dementia and maybe I need to call the authorities because I don't want them wandering around the city, instead of just saying, yeah, it's that way, or, you know, get out of here, you're on drugs kind of thing. And um, not to, I'm not saying that Circle K does that, but we need to understand, um, you know, the signs and the symptoms that we've talked about. Banner also has a newsletter that you can sign up for that has great information um, about Alzheimer's and I said their classes and, and all of that. So I want to thank you. Let me stop the share and get back to everybody. Oh, look at all that chat. My goodness. Okay. Hopefully somebody's capturing all of that because I have no idea how to do that, Bob. Yeah, no, we're good. We got it recorded. So um, okay. for those of you that uh, registered today, uh, we will go ahead and send you a copy of the presentation if you would like. Feel free to send an email over to uh, Sally Harrison, sharrison at mesachamber.org, uh, and she will be happy to get you copied on that. Uh, we will also have a copy of the chat, so we'll go through the chat if there's a question that did not get answered uh, in the chat. Uh, we'll go ahead and have Karen just kind of address that, and we'll include that in a follow-up email. So. Um, yeah. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Karen, thank you so much for facilitating this course today. Oh, you're welcome. And I see um, there's a lot of information in the chat. Somebody's got a book coming out. And, and I know Susan Wallers, and I knew her husband when he was going to Oakwood. And that um, and she is she's a godsend to other caregivers because she has some great information about you know, what she went, they were younger, 40s. And, you know, it's very different than dealing with the, uh, the older adult because she had some challenges um, because they were such a younger couple. And, um, and, and actually the daughter works for Oakwood as well. So, uh, and there's 
um, phone numbers and all sorts of things on there. So capture, I don't know, Bob, if you, if everybody- Yeah, well, we'll actually capture the chat and uh, we can make that available as well. Um, this recording will get edited and posted to the Mesa Chamber YouTube page. So you'll be able to watch that or share it uh, later on once it's posted. Um, otherwise, uh, we're at 10.01, so I'll go ahead and let everybody get back to their day. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Karen. Bye. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for all your comments and input.